Welcome back, healthy people, to another great episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, from Thanksgiving break. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I hope you got to eat everything that you wanted to eat. Hopefully by now you've stopped eating apple pie for breakfast or whatever you're eating for breakfast from Thanksgiving that you know you shouldn't have been eating for breakfast. Just because it's apple and it's in pie does not mean that you're starting your day off with having a healthy breakfast. Apple pie does not count as your fruit serving for the day. But welcome back, y'all, for another episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. This week, I'll be discussing cervical cancer screening. Cervical cancer is cancer of the cervix. The cervix is the lower part of the uterus. What's the uterus? Uterus is an organ in a woman's pelvis that sheds once a month when a woman has her cycle and it's also where a baby sets up shop until it's delivered. There's somebody out there who doesn't know what the uterus is, so I'll make sure to put that in there and keep it real simple for y'all. So if you don't know what the uterus is, now you know. Thanks, Dr. Randy. You're welcome. Let's continue. So the cervix is the bottom part of the uterus. For comparison purposes, you can think of the uterus as a balloon and the opening part of the balloon as the cervix. It is estimated that this year, approximately 13,000 people will be diagnosed with cervical cancer with the highest rates in the Hispanic and African-American community. Cervical cancer rates were previously high in the 70s, but have improved over time due to pap smear tests. So what's a pap smear? A pap smear test is a procedure done to screen for cervical cancer. We're essentially looking for abnormal cells in the cervix. We're trying to see if there are any precancerous cells or cancerous cells when we do a pap smear test, which is basically when a physician swabs the inside of the cervix and gets a sample of those cells. A lot of the recommendations have changed in regard to how often women should have pap smears and when women should get them. Recommendations previously suggested women would have to get pap smears every year or when they started to become sexually active. However, in the last few years, these items have changed drastically. So let's discuss these changes. According to the US Preventive Service Task Force, which is an independent volunteer panel of national experts in prevention and evidence-based medicine, which basically means there's a group of researchers who look at research and make recommendations and guidelines. According to this group, women should start having pap smears starting at age 21 and have it done every three years if the results are normal until age 29. So once again, according to this group, the average woman should start having a pap smear at age 21 and have it done every three years if the results are normal until age 29. At age 30 and all the way until age 65, women can get screened for cervical cancer in one of three ways. One is a pap smear every three years, so just a swab of your cervical area. Option number two, you can get tested for HPV every five years. HPV is a sexually transmitted virus that increases a woman's risk of developing cancer. 
That's option two. The physician does a swab of your cervix and tests you for HPV. Option number three is have both a pap smear and get tested for HPV every five years. So that's essentially getting both done, having a swab of your cervix and also getting tested for HPV, which is the virus that's shown to increase a woman's risk of having cervical cancer. Often women get HPV early in life, but are able to clear the infection on their own without treatment. According to the task force, after age 65, or if you've had a hysterectomy and you've never had cervical cancer or high grade, which are really, really bad pre-cancer cells, you don't need to have a pap smear. So I'll repeat that for the people in the back who aren't paying attention. So according to this task force, after age 65, or if you've had a hysterectomy and you've never had cervical cancer during your life before you had the hysterectomy or you've never had really bad, we call them high grade precancerous cells. There are different levels of precancerous cells. You don't need to have a pap smear. So make sure you talk to your doctor about this. If you've had an abnormal pap smear in the past, asking your doctor, were my precancerous cells high grade or low grade, or you can just make it real simple, were they not that bad or really, really bad? That might be the easiest way to kind of keep it in your head. Many other organizations such as the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the American Cancer Society agree with those recommendations that I just listed for you all. However, the consensus with these two organizations is that having a pap smear and being tested for HPV is the best test. And this is done once again every five years if the results are normal. So some women may have thought in the past that, oh, I have to get a pap smear every year. You don't necessarily have to get a pap smear every year. You can wait five years to get another pap smear if you've never had an abnormal pap smear and you're over 30 years old. If you're younger than 30, between 21 and 29, you'll have to get it done every three years, but you won't have to do the HPV testing. You can have a pap smear done every year if you want to, because usually insurance will pay for it. But I just wanted to lay some things out for you if you wanted to have other options. However, I know there are some women who would prefer not to have it done every year. The procedure is uncomfortable, a woman may be on her cycle, or for other personal reasons, may prefer to have a pap smear done as less often as possible. One year, you just may not feel like having a pap smear, or maybe you've had a real bad pap smear in the past that just created some psychological trauma and you don't want to have it done or would prefer another provider to do it. I just want to lay those things out for you so you'll know your options. Now I have to get on my soapbox just a little bit. Let me get your undivided attention. Let me get both of your ears. A lot of women come to see me and don't know when is the last time they had a pap smear or thought they had one and didn't have it done. I always like to use a car as an example when I'm talking to patients. So I'm going to use a car as an example in this scenario. Let's compare a pelvic exam to a tune-up. Some women go to get a tune-up and think they're getting an oil change, but all the mechanic did was change your air filter. You didn't need an oil change, but it was something else that was needed. What do I mean by that? Sometimes you may have a pelvic exam and they may be swabbing you for a yeast infection or an STD, and you may be thinking that they're also doing a pap smear, but they may not be doing a pap smear, they're just doing a swab. It may not be time for you to have a pap smear. So ladies, when you go to get a tune-up, make sure you know what they're doing underneath your hood. Before you have a pelvic exam, ask your doctor what they're gonna be doing down there. 
before they get started, say, hey, before you pop my hood, what are you gonna be doing down there? Am I getting the oil changed? The windshield wiper fluid? You checking for leaks? Or, uh, I mean, are you gonna be swabbing for any bacteria? Or are you gonna be doing a pap smear? That, that's what you should be asking them. Not, not if you need an oil change or a windshield wiper fluid. They may be confused and they may try to give you a psychological exam. But I know what you're talking about if, if you were talking to me, but hopefully I won't be doing your pap smear. Um, anyways, I'm back off my soapbox now. So once again, know what's going on underneath your hood. Last time you've had a pap smear, and if you're at the age for a mammogram, last time you had a mammogram, those type of things will be very helpful. I know there was a good amount of information to take in at one time. I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't remember it all. So don't hesitate to go back and listen to it again. And as usual, I'll summarize everything again at the end of this episode. Today's guest on the podcast is Dr. Oluchi Emanuel. She just goes by Dr. Oluchi. O to the L to the Oluchi. Uh, I don't know why I did that. Dr. Olucci is a board certified internal medicine physician, obesity medicine specialist, and author of Worship and Wellness, The Discovery. It's a book that she wrote that's found on Amazon. So make sure y'all go and check it out and make sure you support it and buy it. She is passionate about helping women live in their best health to prevent diseases such as diabetes and hypertension. She offers one-on-one wellness consultations with women to help create and accomplish their goals. Soon she will start enrollment for her signature wellness coaching program to help women lose weight, gain energy, and feel more confident in their bodies. Dr. Alucci and I will discuss her career, women's health, how to live your best health as a woman, and we'll have her on the hot seat for Randy's random question. In it, she tells us how she makes the best jollof rice. If you're a male listening to this, it doesn't hurt to listen to this as well, because you may be able to pass on some of this information to your mom, your sister, special lady in your life. So just because this episode is geared towards women, that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to it. So let's get started with the interview with Dr. Olucci. So welcome to another episode of On Call with Dr. Randy. I have one of my good friends here, Dr. Olucci. We've known each other probably, what is this, 2020, this 15, 16 years now? Yes, long yes. time. Yes, yes. It's making me seem old now when I say <laughs> it out loud. Yes. Uh, so we did a summer program together back in 2004 at Duke University when we we're both kind of pursuing our initial medical careers. And so we both come full circle and to become doctors. Yes. Can't believe it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Just a little insight. So meeting Oluchi, this was my first time meeting a light skinned person from Africa. I was so. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. You and our other friend, Queen. Yes. Like, like, man, they have light-skinned people in Africa, too. I can only go by what I had seen on TV. So that was my country self being exposed to other individuals and not being so stereotypical with the things that I've seen before in life. So that, that program enlightened me to other things that I'm thankful for in my adulthood that was kind of stupid as a youth. That's funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, Dr. Olucci is an internal medicine physician. So, what made you want to be a doctor growing up? Oh, well, you know, I actually I grew up around medicine. My mom is a family medicine physician. Okay. She 
actually became a, she became a physician in Nigeria before my family moved here. Mm-hmm. And then when she moved here, they actually didn't recognize her training. So she had to redo residency. Which, mm. you know, now that I've gone through residency, looking back, I'm like, how in the world did you do that? <laughs> so I've always been around medicine. She actually opened her own private practice and practiced for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. Solo private practice. She was there seven days a week and worked very, very hard. Yeah, most weeks. So that actually made me not want to go into medicine. (laughs) But (laughs) Seven days a week. Wow. I know. She worked really, really hard. She loved her patients and really just did so much for the community. So that part, you know, put something in me like, wow, you know, it's really cool that you can do this and you can reach so many people. Mm -hmm. But the stress and seeing the other side of it, I was like, I don't know if this is for me. Mm-hmm. But what actually made me interested in it as a career for me is I remember in fourth grade, <laughs> I was doing this science project or something. And, you know, back in those days, there was no Internet, you know, mm-hmm. telling how old we are. But <laughs> I had to go and look up in a, like an encyclopedia or something um, mm-hmm. about. Well, she said, look up, but it was like, look up a health condition or something like something that you're interested in. So my mom's like, oh, why don't you look up the silent killer? And I'm like, what is the silent killer? So I went and looked it up and I was like, oh my goodness, people are walking around with high blood pressure, you know, just like a ticking time bomb, like I talked about in one of my videos, and they have no idea and it's killing people. And like my eyes were just open at that moment. I was like, this is like, we got to do something. (laughs) You thought about that in fourth grade. You you start looking at people different, like, mom. Mom, is he dying? Blood pressure. I'm like asking random people if they know. Because I mean, I was I was really disturbed. I'm like, you mean somebody could just pass out and die because they have this high blood pressure and they don't know about it? Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that kind of stayed in my mind as I got older and you know went on through high school and college. And it, during college is when I started doing different programs, like the one that we met at. And mm-hmm. I wanted to really expose myself to see if medicine was for me or if I just you know, wanted to do something in, let's say, preventive health, because that was the thing, the other thing I was considering. I was like, you know, I know I want to help people um, not get these preventable diseases, but I don't know if I necessarily need to become a doctor or if I can do that through a different avenue. Mm-hmm. So really doing those programs kind of opened my eyes. And I just realized that while I could do something like preventive, I mean, um, public health, I think I would just make a bigger impact if I could talk to people one-on-one. And that's why I was driven towards medicine so that I could have those one-on-one interactions with patients and really kind of inspire them to take control of their health so that they don't develop these preventable diseases. So I've been talking about preventable diseases, Randy, since I was (laughs) in elementary school, literally. (laughs) Since you were looking up stuff in encyclopedia. You know? (laughs) Right, right. Somebody's listening to this right now. They're going to have to Google what is an encyclopedia. encyclopedia. I know. I remember I used to have like, a whole set in my house, 20 books in there. Yeah. I look it up in the index. Then, okay, it's in book number eight. Like, all right, keep that page. Yeah. Exactly. Was it like Britannica or something? Mm-hmm. Right, right. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have two brothers. Okay. okay. All right. So, what was it like growing up in a household like that with your mom being a physician working seven days a week? It was, uh, I would say, pretty busy. Like we all, we were all involved in so many different things. We all played instruments. We had like a very regimented family. We all played instruments. We all played sports. We all were doing different 
um, educational programs at schools and summers, like every single summer we did educational programs. Mm -hmm. People were like getting to relax and stuff. We were doing ACT (laughs) prep and all this stuff. So it was, I mean, it was very interesting. It was fun. You know, looking back now, those days I was just like, can I just get a moment to chill? But can I go outside and play? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no, we played a lot because okay. we we didn't we weren't allowed to watch TV during the week. Okay. We watch TV Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. So okay. we spent a lot of time outside. Actually, you remember what was your go-to show that you was looking forward to on the weekends? Was it Family oh, Matters or something? Exactly, TGIF. <laughs> I lived for that. There we go. Boy Meets World. I yes. Live for Right there on the Friday. My favorite. So what made you go into internal medicine? Well, you know, back to the the wellness part of it. I really wanted to find out how I can reach the most people um, for to prevent illnesses. And I just figured primary care, catching them at the beginning <laughs> before things happen would be the best way. You know, I considered things like surgery, but I'm like, well, they're already kind of coming for an issue that needs to be taken care of right then and there. It's like not enough time to start really counseling them and trying to help them prevent whatever that was. Mm -hmm. So I just figured um, internal medicine would give me the best chance to catch them early. Right, right. Has it been everything you thought it would be? You know, in a way it has, but in a way it hasn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let me start with how it hasn't. So when I went into medicine, I was expecting just the chance to really educate people and just inspire them and really help them meet their goals. Mm -hmm. So I became disillusioned even in residency. (laughs) There was not enough time built into the normal everyday primary care life to really help and push my patients the way that I wanted to. So I didn't like that aspect of it. Now, the reason I say that it has been what I wanted to be is because I really just made it my own. Mm -hmm. When I got out of residency, instead of kind of going to work at a traditional primary care practice, I went to work at a wellness clinic where all we did was focus on helping people stay healthy. And it was the best experience ever. Now it was an executive wellness clinic. So we kind of focused on, um, I mean, we only really got to see kind of the executives of companies and like these, Mm -hmm. you know, people way up there. So it wasn't really the population that I wanted to see Mm -hmm. completely, but I learned a lot from that because I, I had the time to really sit there and counsel them and help them get the resources. And these people did better for the most part because we had, we got to sit there and make a plan. But Mm -hmm. even then they were only coming in once a year. So it was hard to, we'd come up with this great plan. They'd be motivated. And then by the time they come in, still like, Oh, you know, doctor, I did it for a few months. And then I kind of fell off. Mm -hmm. So that's where I started realizing that, you know, every once a year still isn't enough if people really want to make these changes. So I've made it how, you know, and that's, that's why I ended up uh, starting my own wellness company because I wanted to do that more of the interaction with people and kind of walk them through the journey. All right. Okay. So while we're on that, tell, tell me a little bit about your wellness boutique company where people come in and get their health structured for them. And then also you fit them for dresses and for suits as well. I'm assuming it has some kind of boutique aspect like that. Not really. So Uh, I call it a wellness boutique because it's for ladies and it's really more of just an opportunity to work one-on-one with a doctor or in a group setting with a doctor and help tailor your, tailor the health plan to however, you know, your personal health. So Mm -hmm. instead of the cookie cutter, Hey, you need to, you need to exercise. You need to eat better, lose some weight. It's more like, 
let's talk about where you are right now. What is a healthy weight for you? What can we do to do that? Okay, you don't like running. Let's find an exercise that you do like that you can stick with. You don't like eating these kind of vegetables. Let's find some that can work for you. So mm-hmm. I really believe that health and uh, just healthcare in general should be tailored. It's not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. So when I work with clients one-on-one, that's what we're working on. We're just really trying to get more structure and, but tailored to them. So that's why I call it a boutique. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And I totally agree about um, medicine not being cookie cutter mm-hmm. in general for everyone. You have to tailor everything for people specifically. Especially like what I always use the example when I talk to patients is the BMI. A lot of people focus on BMI. What should my weight be? I mean, it's not that easy just to say based upon your height and your weight, what your BMI should be. It's more factors that play into that. Like if If I did the BMI of the actor, The Rock, like I'm sure he's overweight or obese just because how tall he is and his weight. Like Right, right. But we know he's not. Right. And, you know, speaking of BMI, I recently looked at some studies about it and I had, I never really thought of the fact of how it's kind of has some racial connotations to it. You know, like uh-huh. it's based on it's not based on someone who looks like me. Uh-huh. It's completely based on like the typical European male. And uh-huh. so it, you really can't just apply it head on to everybody like you're saying. Right. So I think that's why, yeah, you really have to just tailor it to the person. So what do most women come to see you for at the wellness boutique? Specifically, <laughs> is it just like weight loss stuff or, oh, my diabetes is not under control or my high blood pressure? What does the typical woman come to see you for? Yeah. So, you know, in the past, what I've worked one on one with women is just kind of helping them lose weight. You know, mm-hmm. most women are you know, they get, some people get to the point where they're just like, I'm not comfortable with my weight. I know I need to do something. And, you know, what I've tried in the past is not working. So I want to do something different. And right now, so I, uh, throughout the year, I'll have different programs kind of open up, like either group coaching or one-on-one sessions. And right now I'm actually really tailoring my efforts to um, Black uh, women entrepreneurs, because okay. that's a whole different segment of women who need mm-hmm. <laughs> assistance in really figuring out their health. You know, mm-hmm. you as a entrepreneur myself, what I realized is that I was not doing a good job taking care of my health. I was always constantly trying to do the business stuff and build this. I need to make do these landing pages and there's always so much work, but it was hard to actually focus on taking care of my health and eating right. And especially when you add like all the other stuff, there's a family life, you know, <laughs> they can all of yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, <laughs> so um, actually coming up soon, you all can stay mm-hmm. tuned. I'm going to be having some programs specifically tailored toward helping female entrepreneurs get better health and get the bodies they want so that they can be more confident in their bodies and more successful in their businesses. So stay tuned for that. But that's what I'm you know, currently working on right now. Okay. Well, have you started working with the entrepreneur women yet? So yes, I have worked mm-hmm. with a few and it just, once again, kind of tailoring it towards them, mm-hmm. whatever they're willing to start working on right away. But I'm actually, you know, I, I want to look at health from a different perspective. So The program that I'm coming out with now, which I think is going to be very, very impactful, is something that's helped me personally and helped, you know, a few of the people that I've started working with is really working on the mental aspects of it. You know, Mm -hmm. we focus so often on 
you have those things that, you know, the things that everybody knows about. Everybody knows you have to, you have to eat better. Everybody knows you need to exercise. But why can't, why is it that people have a hard time sticking to those things? Hmm. And I think that that's where the mindset has, comes in. Mm -hmm. So my goal with this program is really going to be to help women apply those same mindset um, topics that they use to build their business. Like most people know that you have to be confident about your business. You have to speak the things that you want about your business for them to happen. You know, you have to, it takes that mental work to get to the level that you want to in your business. So applying those same things to your health, learning how to speak over your health. Like I, you know, the foods that I'm eating are giving my body energy and nutrition. You know, they're not going to do harm to my body. And the Mm -hmm. more that you learn to say those things and start to believe them, the more you're going to be drawn to doing them. So in essence, it's almost like teaching your mind to make your body want to do something. (laughs) So all these years we've heard different things. The things that we hear are what cause us to um, be drawn to certain things. And a lot of the stuff is not even intentional. You know, you may have all your life you've heard someone's, you know, something. Oh, you let's let's give an example of like exercise. All -hmm. your life you've heard exercise is horrible. It's just it's so hard to do. It's it's such a burden. I hate, Mm -hmm. you know, you hear all these negative things about it. Girl, tell me about it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But you may may not focus on like you, you may not have heard or really focused on the positive aspects of it. What does it do to your body? How is it energizing your body? And beginning to focus on those and really understanding and believing those things will make mm-hmm. you more drawn to it. It won't be such a pain. It'll be more of a, okay, well, let me let me try that. Let me try a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get into those routines, it becomes easier. So I really want to help people learn about taking care of their health from that aspect. So that's what this new program is going to be about. I'm really excited about it. Okay. So what kind of mental hurdles have you seen individuals have that kind of hindered them from getting that initial step going? It's for the most, most part, people think it's too hard. They start off just saying, I I, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't blame them because if you've tried 10 different diets, you've you hired the trainer for a while and that didn't work. You tried the exercise program by yourself. That didn't work. After all these failures in your mind, something starts to tell you, this is just too hard. I can't do this, Mm -hmm. but it's not true. And what people don't realize is that as long as you're doing the right things, even if you're just doing a little bit every single day, you're making progress. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I've been reading this, this book about um, how the smallest little, the smallest little changes um, are what eventually have this big effect. And it's not that you, it's just most people quit too soon instead of sticking it out and just riding that wave and keeping go- keep going. So, you know, an example I use is that, let's say diet. If mm-hmm. you're drinking three sodas a day, just cutting back to one soda a day. So you're cutting out those other two over that long period of time, let's say in a week, You've already cut back 14 sodas, you know, in a month you've cut back six, you know, so it, those, that little thing, it's going to add up. And people might say, well, if I cut back on two sodas, I'm not going to lose 10 pounds today. No, you're not, but you might in a year, right? (laughs) might in a year and a half, if you Mm -hmm. keep that up. So I really just want to impress on people about doing these small little things that may seem insignificant, but continue keeping them up and doing them consistently. And then you'll see those changes. So that's, you know, those are the mental hurdles people have. Usually the biggest one is it's just too hard. I can't do this. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It's the little changes, especially with your diet that you can make that can make a huge impact. I always tell my patients, you can't eat what you don't buy. So don't buy that unhealthy stuff in the store. Nobody's forcing you to buy that stuff. Nobody's. Exactly. Don't bring it to the house. No, nothing at all. Like nobody's in the store with a gun to your head saying, you better buy them donuts. (laughs) You better get that bread. Right. Yeah, you're right. No, no. I encourage them to do a little um, grocery stalking. Look at people who you may want to be that size or look like them and see what they have in their basket. And then look at your basket, like, okay, like, yeah, I, I, I may need to have a few more vegetables and stuff in my basket. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was also looking at this, this um, podcast, it's a podcast, something I was listening to the other day, and it was just talking about how, you know, the majority of people are, are, are overweight. So they're saying for you to, if you want to actually be a healthy weight, you can't do what everybody else is doing. And it was just so like, it's, it's an obvious statement, but it's so true. He's like the environment that we live in, it naturally pushes people towards gaining weight. It just does. You look at most people are overweight. So to not be overweight, to be at a healthy weight, to, to actually decrease your chances of getting diabetes, heart disease, all these things, you have to be doing something different. So looking at those baskets and realizing, okay, I don't, I don't actually need this stuff. Let me put it back. It's a right. great place to start. Yep. Yep. I tell my patients, you don't have to eat to be full. You can eat to be satisfied. I think that's a major problem with the American diet. We're always like, I'm not full yet. I think I can eat some more. Like, you don't have to be full yet all the time. Yeah, you know. The right. only thing that should be full is your gas tank. Now you're riding around on E all the time. That's on you, but that's that's a different story. But as far as your stomach, like you don't have to be full all the time. And, that's right. And Dr. Oluchi is a obesity medicine specialist. So she's been trained in these type of things. So she definitely knows what she's talking about. What kind of things did you have to go through with your training for obesity medicine? And how long was that training? Yeah. So after internal medicine, you know, I, I was telling you, I worked in the wellness clinic for a while and I just wanted to do more to mm-hmm. kind of address the, the issue of obesity because it is such a growing concern in our country and really around the world. So I went back and did a fellowship, but this wasn't a fellowship that I had to do in person. I was able to go to some conferences, learn mm-hmm. some CME, get some CME, and then um, take an exam. But it was it was eye opening. Like this is really basic stuff that we should be teaching mm-hmm. medical students. I mean, just the idea that the whole eat, um, eat less, move more doesn't work. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. it's not true, and it's been. But that's what we we society has kind of told people, and even medical training has told us. Like you know, internal medicine training. That's what it was. Somebody came in and they were overweight. It was their fault. Like oh, they must be lazy. They don't do anything. That is completely wrong. You know, being mm-hmm. overweight is not the person's fault. It really is just environment and gene genetics. And yeah, there are things that also play into it that are that our responsibility and things that we can change, but that's not the whole picture. So it was very eye-opening and it was definitely worth it. And I'm glad that I did it because now I can really look at the causes of things. Like if you don't know the cause of something, you really can't fix it. So mm-hmm. if you're someone is coming to you and they want help losing weight, but you don't know why they gain that weight or they don't know why they gain the weight, then you're never, you're not going to get anywhere with actually addressing it. Right. So it right. was a great training. I actually recommend that everybody who any kind of interest in 
um, obesity medicine, just, you know, consider doing that or at least doing some CME and it, just learning more about it. Okay. Okay. And so, and for those who don't know, can you kind of educate people a little bit upon like food deserts and not oh. having healthy food options around? I think sometimes people don't know about those type of things until they really start opening their eyes and seeing what kind of options they have in whatever neighborhood that they live in. Oh, yes. So first, let me just say, if you live in a neighborhood where you have a grocery store that's, let's say, even just accessible to you, like maybe five, 10 minutes away from you or closer, you are really blessed because there are places in this in this country, not even to talk about the world, where that does not happen, where people just don't have access to fresh food, where people are literally having to go buy their fresh food from a gas station or a convenience store, which does not have the best food at all. And it, it seems like such a, like a hard to, understand concept if you've always been around these places that have grocery stores, but these food deserts are more common than you think. So that's why when we're seeing patients and we're just like, what do you mean your, your kid doesn't eat vegetables? And they're like, well, I don't have any, like I don't have anywhere to get them. If I, I have to drive an hour to go and to go to a grocery store and I can't do that every week or however long. I mean, it's just, it's really, it's mind blowing in this country that that's still a problem, but it, it definitely is. And it's something that we really need to work on changing somehow. Mm -hmm. Definitely so, definitely so. I mean, just paying attention. One time I didn't live in the best part of Atlanta for a short time period during my in the hood. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. We'll, we'll say I was in there. Hoodish, yep, right. But I fit in. I was straight. Oh, okay. Yep, had my J's on. Didn't have my grill in, but I had my J's on. <laughs> I was still trying to save up for the proper grill. Don't listen to that, mom. Okay. I'm just joking, mom. I'm just joking. <laughs> but I mean, I really kind of start when I was living there, paying attention to the different options that I had, especially going to the grocery store, seeing the produce wasn't as good. Um, also looking at the restaurant options and fast food options. Everything is fried and a lot of carbs. Um, you don't see like a Popeye's or a church's chicken usually in the quote unquote good neighborhoods. Like right? okay. those are all in the lower income neighborhoods, unfortunately. So that's true. And even like you said, the quality, that too is shocking. Um just how do you have fruit that's already rotting? Like mm -hmm. the moment they get it out the truck, like how oh, do you yeah. expect people to eat that? I went and in there kind of bougie. I'm like, y'all don't have no asparagus. <laughs> like, what's that? Where am I? Oh God, so black and bougie now. All right, <laughs> but I mean, it's I just don't understand. And I guess you know, I don't know, but I feel like it's setting people up for obesity and for these medical conditions because. Mm -hmm. I just don't have the access to stuff. And like you right. said, the, the options that they do have are the Popeyes and the other foods that are not healthy. Yeah, mm -hmm. people get them once in a while, but if that's your that's your everyday meal, mm -hmm. you're, you're not doing your body any good. Mm -hmm. so, right. Yeah, that's, that's just another problem in this country. So besides obesity medicine, I know you do a lot about uh, preventative medicine. So what do you do with preventative medicine helping women as well? 
Yeah, I think my biggest thing with preventive, so preventive medicine started, that was my big passion from the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. So my biggest thing now is just really advocacy. So I love going to health fairs where we do screening for diabetes, hypertension. I love just talking about it because you'd be surprised how many people just don't realize, you know, like November is is, um, diabetes awareness month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people may not even know about that. And, you know, a large amount of people don't even know if they have pre-diabetes. So that's one thing we've kind of, I've kind of been talking about. So that, and then, you know, getting your mammograms. And I just really want to impress on people that these things can be prevented or if they're caught early can be taken care of. So, you know, we just have to stay on top of actually going to the doctor and getting checked and asking questions because you also would be surprised that a lot of people just, they'll say, I saw my doctor and I wasn't screened for diabetes. And I'm like, where did I do that at? You know, <laughs> but it's happening somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere, somehow. I don't know if it's just falling through the cracks or what's going on with that particular doctor. I don't know. But every, you know, after a certain age, everybody should be getting screened because it's right. so common. So I just do a lot of advocacy about it, just talking about it. I want people to hear about it from someone who looks like them, who understands, who has chronic conditions running through her family too, who's mm-hmm. determined not to get them and not to allow anybody else in her family to get them. And wants the same for you know everybody out there. Right. So y'all got to make sure that you find a good primary care physician and make sure that you get your yearly exams done. That's it. Exactly. Um, Randy, a lot of people put it off because they're, I feel fine. You know, I don't, I don't have anything, but a lot of these things are not, they're asymptomatic. You don't, you won't have symptoms until something bad happens, but don't wait for that, that moment. Don't wait for that to happen. You have to be proactive about it. So you're right. Going to see your doctor every year and then actually doing what they say. People go see their doctor. The doctor say, here's your, here's your prescription to go get your mammogram. And they just Mm -hmm. won't go get it for whatever reason, but go get your screening test done. Follow your doctor's instructions. Right, right. And actually know your medical history too, as best you can. Unfortunately, all the health systems don't cross over to each other. So when y'all tell me, oh, it's just, it's in my chart. I don't know if, (laughs) which chart you talking about? One from 84 when you were like (laughs) three? Like, I, I don't, that was paper. They didn't put right. that. <laughs> yeah, they didn't scan that into your chart. Like, everything doesn't cross over. You have to help us out. That's what I'll be in there with my patient. Help me help you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, and I literally tell them that. And I'm just like, Lord Jesus, help me, help me, help me. So <laughs> with your uh, wellness boutique, you also incorporate faith into it also. Yeah. So how does your faith practice also incorporate into the boutique as well? Exactly. So my first book was called Worship and Wellness. Mm-hmm. And it was just really focused on how, as I'm a Christian, and as a Christian, Amen. Amen. <laughs> as a Christian, I believe that God has called us to take care of our bodies, not only for ourselves, but really as a way to honor him. Because you think about it, he's given us this and you get one body. So you really should be taking care of it and doing what you can. And a lot of people I find in faith, they say they feel like applying their faith, I think, in the wrong way. Like they'll say, oh, you know, my somebody mentioned I'm, I have diabetes, but I don't claim that. So I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not taking no medicine. I'm not exercising. I'm not losing weight. Because I don't claim it. I don't got it. Mm-hmm. But that's wrong. <laughs> you know, like, that's not what God told you to do at all. 
So I'm like, God gave you that doctor who had gave the doctor the wisdom to, mm-hmm. you know, find the problem, share it with you so that you can do things to stay healthy and take care of the body that he gave you. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the um, book and then the program is really just about encouraging women of faith to take ownership of their health and really just start taking care of their bodies as a way to honor God. And um, I've had it op- I've been blessed with the opportunity to speak at various churches and um, other women's group events and just really to share my passion for that, because I think that the church is an area that we are also not doing a good job talking about preventive health because there's so much of this. Uh, God got me. I don't have to do anything. And I'm like, no, that's not what God is saying. <laughs> my Jesus would not give me gout. Not my Jesus. <laughs> not my Jesus. Yeah. He's a healer. You're going to heal me from this. I rebuke you, gout. I rebuke you, diabetes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So how has it been trying to like, how can I put this, to encourage people to take their medicine in those type of situations and not just depend on God to solve all their problems and showing like the benefit of taking medicine, but also incorporating, of course, diet and exercise things into their Mm -hmm. life. So I think really when you break it down to them and you just talk about how God gives physicians wisdom mm-hmm. and that God has you know, placed them there. And we, we talk about different scriptures that really just encourage like God wants you to be in good health and, and faith without work works is dead. You know, the Bible mm-hmm. talks about that. So you can have faith that you've been healed from diabetes or you know whatever it is and god can god definitely has the ability to heal you but what i always point out is that you don't get to decide how god is going to heal you god mm-hmm. can choose to heal you by that surgery that you're like i'm never going to need or by the medication that your doctor has been trying to tell you to take so you don't get to decide that and you know there's an analogy that i use in the book about you know somebody who was um who was drowning and you know god sent a boat to come get them. God sent, you know, various different things, but they were looking for a particular way to be saved. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when they died and got to heaven, they're like, God, why didn't you save me? And God is like, I sent you so many different vehicles to help save you and you turn them down. So you don't get to choose how God is going to heal you or take care of your body or take care of the problem. You're, what you need to do is continue praying about it, but also trusting that God is going to bring you to the right people, the doctors that can help you get to your, your best health. Okay. So that's, that's what I usually tell people. Okay. That's a word right there. You almost <laughs> made me catch the spirit over here. Ooh, yes. My Joel Osteen on. Do you receive it today? This is my Bible. It is. Okay. Let me not get on my job. Oh <laughs> but uh, so just to go back, I know you kind of talked about black women health. Do you feel like the medical community has done a disservice to black women's health overall? Oh, definitely. And that's why I'm so focused on this population. Hmm. I'm like, I can't be taking care of everybody. And then the people who look like me are suffering the most. I'm like, okay, Dr. Randy, think of it like this. Black girl magic is everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. black women have, was it the highest or one of the highest um, rates of college degrees or and advanced degrees. We are about to be the, you know, the vice president, like mm-hmm. black women achievement, even business. I think they have the highest group of um, new uh, um, small businesses. So mm-hmm. black women do very well in most areas except our health. 
And why is that? I just feel like nobody's doing anything about that or we're not doing enough about it. There ha- we, like, we have to make some serious changes. And I know that a lot of it has to do with um, the kind of the mistrust of the medical field in general. You know, there's this, they haven't really treated us well in the past, which is true mm-hmm. and all. I mean, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. But at some point we have to still take ownership of our health and actually do something about it. And then from the other side, the doctors, we need to start reaching out to the population and hearing from their perspective. You know, I gave an example about how somebody, you know, there was a patient who didn't take her medication and the doctor, instead of even asking, you know, why, why aren't you taking it? He's just like non-compliant. It wrote mm-hmm. out, you know, through her chart. And you know, the next doctor is going to see that and be like, Oh, she's just one of those people who doesn't. And you know, you mm-hmm. don't know what the, you don't know why people don't ask why anymore. You know, maybe mm-hmm. she couldn't afford it. You mm-hmm. didn't tell her about, you know, the Walmart $4 list or maybe, maybe she had a bad reaction to it and mm-hmm. she, could, she could be on something else. Maybe someone in her family took it and died from you know taking that medication and she's just mm-hmm. worried about that. Mm-hmm. So there's all these other issues. And I just feel like healthcare in general is not taking the time to really figure that out and help women. And that's mm-hmm. kind of why I stepped away from t- traditional medicine. I was, I was just like, you know, let me try and do this from the other side, one-on-one and really kind of walking people through this because we have, as physicians in general, we have not done a good job. I mean, why is it that the black um, mortality, the postpartum mm-hmm, mortality, the prenatal, yeah, mm-hmm. mortality is so, it's terrible. It's like worse than, you know, some of these developing countries. Why is it that black women have such a high risk of death when they're pregnant? Like that stuff is actually very scary and doesn't make any sense. Right. So, Do you have any thoughts on like why that rate is higher compared to other people? Um, so I think that part of it is that, so a lot of it has to do with uh, preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. So that's one of, or that's one of the major complications that um, black women are dealing or really women in general, but especially black women are dealing with. So there's a lot of this, not enough screening for it. Like mm-hmm. I'm amazed at the people who don't get their blood pressure checked when they go for a prenatal visits. Like how is that happening? Mm-hmm. Or the blood pressure would be, a little high and the doctor would be like, Oh, you're fine. And it's like, no, she's actually not fine. She's eight months pregnant and this is not an acceptable, like she needs to be hospitalized and somebody needs to watch that blood pressure and actually do something about it. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of issues that are probably genetic. So mm-hmm. by people, all, some, there's some of us have the gene that makes us more susceptible to higher blood pressure. Yeah. So there's that part, but then there's also like, is the, is the, physician listening and then is the black person the woman able to communicate and actually tell the doctor her you know her concerns about it you know and be heard mm-hmm. so i think there's just so many layers to it I, I i told this story in one of my videos that like when i the only time i've been hospitalized was for the delivery of my children and even while i was there i was just like look tell my husband you can't leave me here by myself <laughs> I'm not playing these games. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I, I love my OBs that I had, but I don't trust, you know, I, not that I don't trust, but mm-hmm. I'm just, I know the statistics and I know my risk and I'm not, I'm not taking any chances. I need you to be here because if God forbid something goes wrong, I need an advocate. And that's the other thing. Maybe a lot of these women don't have somebody who will advocate for them, advocate for them and mm-hmm. really get somebody's attention. You know, when I was having, 
more pain. Like my husband was right there like, look, I need y'all to do something. Like her pain is not real. She's not, she doesn't like pain medicine. She doesn't complain about it. So this is real. We need to do something about this. So having someone there. So I just think it's, there's so many layers to it, Randy. Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how we're going to fix it, but we have to make, we have to start making changes. Like we Mm -hmm. can't just accept it and kind of roll with it. We have to do something about it. Totally agree. Totally agree. Has there been any time now as a physician that you felt like something has fallen in between the cracks for you personally, like when you went into the hospital to deliver your children or just what you're in, like just regular healthcare in general? Because I don't know how you do as far as when you go in, do you let people know like, hey, I'm a doctor, I'm going to be watching y'all. Or is it one of those things like, let me see how y'all do first and then I'm going to let y'all know who I am. Listen, I don't tell people I'm a doctor mm-hmm. unless I'm, you see me in a clinic or <laughs> really, I guess social media too. Mm-hmm. But I try to be real low key. But unfortunately, on those sheets, they usually ask you what you do. So I usually put healthcare professional and some, some people guess, some people not. But um, in general, like I don't, I don't think I've allowed things to fall through the crack because I'm usually very much on top of it. But I've been blessed in that sense, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I have the knowledge. I know that. I need to, because diabetes runs in my family, I need to be screened for it. I know that I blood, high blood pressure is there too. And, you know, something I'm, I need to watch out for. Like, I know these things. And I just, I don't, I don't think it's fair because a lot of people don't know them. So they don't have that advantage. So things are, it's easier for them to fall through the cracks. And mm. yeah, so I just, I, I, I think I'm very, I'm very blessed in that sense. Um, but it's not the same for everybody. Right. True. And I also agree with Dr. Olucci. You got to be open and honest with your physician as well, letting them know certain scenarios. It may be hard for you to express those things or may be embarrassing, but you have to let us know that's the only way that we can help you more than what we are able to help you. We as physicians, of course, have to do better as far as asking certain questions. Mm-hmm. And I also think, you know, to your, your point, finding a doctor that you trust Mm-hmm. has to be that like that that has to be the basic requirement if you go see your doctor and you can't get on the same level the same um you just you can't get along with them you don't feel like they're understanding you you need to find a new doctor like your health is too important to just deal with it something is going to get lost or fall through the cracks or some you're not going to be able to express what's going on or talk about the real issues not the i just didn't take it like you said why didn't you take it? You're not going to be able to talk about that if you don't like the person or you don't get along with them. So find someone that you can trust. Right. What do you think as far as physicians, where can the training improve into improving these biases? Does it need to start in medical school, residency? Does it need to be part of continuing medical education as we continue on in our physician lives? Where do you think all of the above? Listen, all of the above. That's exactly what I was going to say. But it has to start in medical school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just just astonished by the stuff that people don't know, and it just has to do with if you don't grow around or grow up around it, you have no idea. I mean, mm-hmm. Randy, I went to I mean, I went to medical school in Texas, so you would think, and most of the people are from Texas. I'm like, this is pretty diverse. Houston is very diverse, mm-hmm. but people just didn't know stuff. Like people over here trying to prescribe medicines to treat ashiness. Oh man, I tell my patients that all the time. On physicals, I literally check them from head to toe. And when they take off them socks, 
I'd be like, "Woo, I put some lotion on these jokers, man. I thought I was a white person when I looked at it. <laughs> yes, but it's like things that are like that basic. But I understand if you've never seen it. But then also, so that's kind of like one of the you know pointless ones. It doesn't really matter so much. But the biases, things that have just, you, you know, you've always in your mind thought, oh, let's say, let's, for example, there's this thought that black people are lazy, you know? Mm-hmm. So if, if you've always heard that, let's say you were, since you were four years old, if you just continually hear that over and over and over, now you get to medical school and you're treating patients and in the back of your mind, I'm just, you're just like, ah, I don't know. I just, I don't trust this patient. I just feel like they're not, they just don't want to work, you know, like, mm-hmm. or they're, let's say they're asking for an excuse because they're in some severe pain or work excuse or something in the back of your mind. You're just like, nah, I don't just. I'm pretty sure though. And in your mind, you may not even say like, it's because they're lazy, but mm-hmm. you're more drawn to that thought just because that's what was planted in your mind 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's little things like that. You know, I, I, I talk about how um, there was this thought that black people don't feel pain the same way mm-hmm. white people do. And I was just amazed. They did a study in 2016 and people were talking about how medical students and residents actually thought that was true. Randy, in this same age, they thought it was true. Like, we're, are we not all human? Like, how does that make sense? But that's just... I think awful. Blacks are superhuman. They can take all the things. I guess. That's just been the thought. And not only was it just a thought, but the people actually practiced that way. They were so much less likely to give pain medication to adequately treat a Black person's pain compared to a white person. You know, you see just the... the, cla- the you know, blatant example, you see like a white woman crying about something and people are just more drawn, like, oh my goodness, ease her pain versus mm-hmm. let's say a black man who can be complaining about the same the same thing. Let's say they both twist their ankle and they're complaining about pain. Mm-hmm. Most people are going to feel like the, the white woman has to be in worse pain. And why? Mm-hmm. It's just because that's what society has conditioned us to think. The black man could be suffering over there, but you're thinking, oh, he's a macho man. He, he'll be okay. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> treat his pain. Yep. So I think it has to start in medical school and then continue through on because it's, it was, if you've been hearing about this and thinking like this way since you were a child, it's deep in there. It's one little lecture is not going to do anything. You know, we had a, I think we did one or two lectures in medical school. I don't even remember them. <laughs> you know, like they, it's not enough. This has to be drilled in that you, these biases are there. Cause once you're, once you're made aware of them, then the next time that comes up, you're like, Oh wow. My first instinct was to go to treat this woman over here versus, you know, the man. Mm-hmm. And because now you, you, you see it. It's not, it's not implicit anymore. It's there. It's in your face. So I think we just have to do a better job of like putting it in people's faces so that they know that they have the bias and they can actually, if they're willing to change, you know, take an action towards changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a consistent process. Um, you also need to kind of listen to people outside of your circle to hear different opinions. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. As we wrap up, is there any kind of health tips you want to provide to individuals, especially women, to promote good health overall? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think I think that, you know, I really want to just put out there that getting healthy, getting to your healthy weight, all that, it's simple. As in, it's a simple process, but it's not easy. So 
there's a lot of, you know, there's just a few things that if you did them very consistently, you would improve your health and you would improve your weight. But mm-hmm. just doing them and being able to keep up and trying to, I guess, be consistent with them, that's the hard part. But you can do it. So um, some of the, the tips that I would like to share with you is that, you know, one of the ways to, especially going into this new year, a way that you can really take control of your health is making your health a priority. And that means actually scheduling time for you and to take care of the things that you need to do. That means seeing your doctor. That mm-hmm. means getting um, whatever screening exams that you need and just deciding that, hey, I'm, you know, last year I took care of everybody else. Uh (laughs) This year I'm making sure I take care of my health and making sure I know what I'm doing and take ownership of it. And that also includes things like making sure you're paying attention to what you're eating. So I would Mm -hmm. tell people, you have to record what you're eating. And, you know, they have apps that help you with that, but you have to know what you're eating. You can't tell me you're trying to lose weight. You have no idea how many calories you took in yesterday. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you got to (laughs) know. Also, you have to move more. You know, I always tell people that exercise is is so important, but even outside of exercise, just getting up. You know, our society, we spend so many hours sitting down. There was this, uh, there was a study that talked about how something like we lose something like over 2000 calories a day just from sitting. And then it also talked about how when you so if you go exercise in the morning, let's say you do like an hour run or something like that, the time that you sit down throughout the day starts to cancel that out, all the metabolic benefits that you you got from that run. Mm-hmm. So being really intentional about standing up more, moving around, just walking around. Um, if you if you have a desk job, getting up at least once an hour and taking a little walk so that you get a break. So being intentional about moving. That's what yeah. I'm worried about uh, individuals working from home now because of yes. COVID. That's what I tell my patients that I'm concerned about you working from home because the little steps that you would do previously, just going to the bathroom, going to talk to a coworker, in and out your car, going to walk for your lunch break, you basically just cut them in half or yeah. like, like three-fourths pretty much and you're not burning as much and then you're sitting at home not eating as healthy on top of it. Exactly. Listen, the COVID 20 or whatever they're calling it, mm-hmm. the amount of pounds people are getting, gaining, it's real. And mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with what we're eating while we're at home and then not moving around as much at home. And you're right. You, if, if the only exercise you're getting is from your couch to the kitchen and back, to that's, get that that's a problem. Yeah, to get that <laughs> snack. <laughs> it's, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. So being intentional, you know, start like I used to kind of laugh about people that not laugh at them, but the concept of just having a standing desk, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense. It actually, it really does. And you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're burning calories doing just what you're normally doing rather than just sitting down. So yeah, being intentional about moving around more and then also getting more sleep. Mm-hmm. We don't sleep enough. And mm-hmm. sleep is when is you know, when your, your body gets a chance to rest, your cells rest, your cells go through different cycles during your sleep. It can affect weight gain. Like, you know, if you don't sleep enough, you wake up hungry because your hunger hormone, which is called ghrelin, goes way high when you don't sleep enough. So when you wake up and you're just craving things that are not necessarily good for you. So Mm -hmm. sleep is another thing that's kind of been, a lot of people are not talking enough about it in our society. So those are really the, the main things that I would say um, everybody should really focus on, especially going into this new year. You know, 2020 has been just 
one of those years that most of us would like to forget about. <laughs> but we can make 2021 a better year, especially for your health. And you can make that decision now so that you can start doing things and that by the time you get into 2021, it'll be a routine. Mm-hmm. You'll be ready to just continue doing them. So right, right. You can start now. Nobody's saying that you have to wait till January 1. Do not wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my New Year's resolution. <laughs> wait 2020 going. Like, we don't know if we're going to make it to 2021. Like, we but. <laughs> We need to get it started right now. So Dr. Alucci provided some great tips. We're going to bring Dr. Alucci back for Randy's random questions. She's so excited and ready to go for the. We're going to put put her on the hot seat. So we have Dr. Olucci back for Randy's random question. Everybody's favorite part, especially my guests. They're always nervous about this one. So question number one, if you weren't a doctor, what job would you want to have? Oh, that's easy. If I wasn't a doctor, I would be in public health. I would be either, you know, like an epidemiologist or someone studying these preventable diseases and especially health disparities. So I would be, I probably have my PhD in that. Okay. That's my okay. passion. Something outside of medicine, if you weren't a doctor. Okay. If you want to be. Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, now that is a little challenging. There we go. Even when you spend your whole life. <laughs> like, what else do I like? Yeah. But, you know, I, I really like photography. And I think that if I wasn't a physician, I would have put all my effort into becoming a great photographer. <laughs> so kind of good, kind of okay when I am now. <laughs> and I think I could have, I would have really enjoyed that. Okay. Why do you love photography so much? I love photography because I like capturing moments. You know, mm. I love looking back at, especially like pictures of my kids when they were really young and just seeing those moments because man, life goes by so fast and you don't get those moments back. But mm-hmm. I think photography and even videography is just a way of like cheating. You get to keep that. You know, mm-hmm. you, and when you watch it or when you look at it, you still get those same emotions. I don't know. There's just something beautiful about capturing moments. Okay. So next question. How does one make good jollof rice? <laughs> this is a, this needs to be a whole video itself. It is a process, <laughs> but I have I have probably the I think the best recipe out there. And okay. you know, don't want to fight me, but Nigerian jollof rice is the best, and it has to do. You have to blend your tomato, onions, garlic, um, and then fry that. Add some tomato paste. Get the right rice, and then. <laughs> Magic happens. <laughs> Where'd you get your recipe from? It's from your mom or you in the kitchen was experimenting on your own? No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> I obviously watched my mom all these years and then took some stuff from her and then just got a couple other recipes and really just kind of made it my own. So it might be a little bit original, but okay. it's definitely taken from other people's. Okay. Do you have a specific pot that you make sure you make it in? Like, this is the jollof rice pot. Like, you can't go in any other pots. It's going to taste different. 
No, not not that it has to go in a specific pot, but I do I do usually make a large amount at a time because mm-hmm. my family loves it. So it's always in the biggest pot. <laughs> okay. How would you describe black girl magic? Oh man, black girl magic is everywhere and it's real. Black women are always succeeding. We're always at the top. You look at um, you look at academics, you look at businesses, you look at sports. Black women are just so successful. And it's like the drive that we have is unmatched. I mean, I mean, the guys are good too and all that. But black girl <laughs> magic comes from when black women really just putting in that extra effort to get to the top, to be the best. And the reason I say all this extra effort is because as a community, black women aren't given the same kind of opportunities. So we literally have to be better than everybody else to get to those same, to get even in, to get in. And then after that, to get to the top. Mm -hmm. So I look at like my medical school where black people in general made up 2% of the population. So in Mm -hmm. in my medical school class of 240, there were 12, 12 of us. <laughs> I mean, y'all had a surplus according to my class. Like, man, but, y'all had double digits. Right. But there were 240 people in my class, Randy. I mean, that was mm-hmm. a big class. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, it's just, it's like that in everywhere. I mean, like our VP is about to be a brown skinned lady. That's mm-hmm. incredible. So yeah. micro magic is not about putting down any other race. I mean, Look, Mm -hmm. my white sisters, I love them. They're great too. But black girls are killing it. And I am here for that. And you are one of those black women who Uh are killing (laughs) you. Thank you. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. So you have have three children. What are their names? Hannah is my oldest. Victoria is the middle child. And Joshua is my baby. Okay. Like you mentioned earlier, this is all about capturing moments in time. And so... (laughs) In the future, we hope they'll come back and look at this video or listen to this podcast. So if you had to look, if you had to use one word to describe each one, what would you use? So if they come back in the future and they listen to this video, you may say, oh, Hannah's bossy. And then they could be like, see, even mama said you was bossy when you was little. So what word would you describe for each one of them? That That's a hard question. Mm-hmm. So... I would say Hannah, my oldest, is sassy, no. but in a good way. Okay. Like she, she'd be reading people. <laughs> like, I don't know where you got that from because I don't do that. But how, she read, like, how old is she reading people? She's six. <laughs> she's like, you better get that fixed. <laughs> what are you talking about? So <laughs> she's like, she's very good with her words. She's been talking since she was like, I don't know, six months, like, no, not really, but like an early talker and like just loves to talk and express herself. She's the one that's like begging to be on all my videos and all this Mm -hmm. stuff, maybe one day. So (laughs) she's my sassy one. My middle child is my sneaky one. She's always up to something. You know, if there's somebody like climbing the roof, it's probably her. And yeah, I'm like, where do you get that from too? Like, I don't know. She's always up to something. And then she's always the one getting hurt too. And I'm like, why are you doing that? You're getting hurt. Well, she's an explorer. That's what it sounds like. She's an explorer. And she she knows what she wants. She does not play. Like she she's our very strong-willed, determined child. Like she's the one that I'll tell her, go do something. And she's like, mm-mm. And I'm like, <laughs> 
Not in this household. <laughs> like that's like an emergency. That's the one you have to have the I'm the parent, you're the child conversation. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. But you know, I'm actually trying to really cultivate that because that's the kind of attitude that does well in society. Like mm-hmm. you need people who are not gonna allow other people to walk all over them. So I like it. It's just not going to work in my house. (laughs) And then my Joshua, he's two Mm -hmm. and he is, he's the curious one. He'll, he just likes to sit there quietly and look and see what everybody else is doing and then go do it. And then, (laughs) and I think he's just like being overshadowed by these two girls that talk so much. They're always in his ear, just going, 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 going. And he's not getting a word in, but he's, he's so smart and so like calculated. He's just sitting there like, watching everything and learning and you'd be surprised the thing he picked the stuff that he picks up like you don't you're not even teaching him you just ask him a random question of like hey joshua where's the line in the book and he'll just turn to the page mm-hmm. like you he's been doing this since he was like one i'm like you're only one years old he's like it's on this page. you know <laughs> so he's he's just very curious and calculated and yeah you can just tell that he's just absorbing everything Okay, cool. He has a lot of smart parents in the household, which are educating him as well. Yes, I hope so. (laughs) And so your husband won't get left out. What word would you use to describe him? Oh, man. My husband is just incredibly hardworking. Like he, he is a... He's a full-time physician. He works as a, he's an intensivist, a neurointensivist. Mm-hmm. So their hours are just ridiculous, especially with COVID and everything going on. He was on the COVID unit for a few months, mm-hmm. but he's like, when he's on service, he'll go at, leave the house at 5 a.m., get home at sometimes like 9 or 10 p.m. and just exhausted. And he still is so present in the house. That's so cool. you know, he'll get home and he'll still like give the kids their baths or, you know, clean up their stuff and just ask about their homework, do whatever he can. Like he's just always so hardworking and it's just, it's incredible. He's a great husband, father, just all around good person. And yeah, he's, he's wonderful. Oh, sounds like you have a great catch over there. I do. (laughs) Look at you. That's my man. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is the last question. What's your favorite Bible scripture? We're going to end on a, good Christian message and going back to your faith and your wellness. I'm sure you have at least one that you can think of that that you love. Of course. So I I have so many, Um, but now that you said faith and wellness, Mm -hmm. I guess we'll go into that. So John 1, 2, and it just talks about that God wants you to be in good health and that your health prosper, you prosper and be in good health just as your faith prospers. So and, and to me, that just means that God doesn't only want you to get to heaven and know that you are, you know, you did all the right things as a Christian, but he also wants you to prosper in your health and in life in general. So prospering in your health to me means taking care of your body and doing the things that you need to do. So that's what I would leave with everybody that not only don't only prosper in your faith, but also prosper and be in good health. Amen. Amen. So we're going to let Dr. Olucci off the hot seat now. Tell everyone where they can find you, social media, website, how to get in contact with you, all of that stuff. 
Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on here. It is a pleasure to be on call with Dr. Randy. Um, but you can find me, yes, on all social media at Dr. Luchi MD. That's at D R O L U C H I M D. I'm really active on social on Instagram. I'm also Facebook. So check me out there. You can also go to my website, which is www.drluchimd.com mm-hmm. and just to find out more about me. And just one quick last question. So when people um, sit down with you to do the wellness visits, is it usually covered by insurance or is something they have to pay out of pocket? Do they get one session free and then start paying after that? How does that work out? Yeah. So usually we have a strategy session, which is free. And then afterwards, if you wanted to do the wellness program, then that is out of the out of pocket. So Mm -hmm. it's completely separate from um, health insurance, because this is something, you know, that people, I want people to take ownership of. And actually when you put someone, when you make an investment in mm-hmm. something, then you're more likely to actually stick with it and to do it. So I always tell people, you have to, just like you make an investment in your, you know, your work for your finances, all that, we all have to make investments in our health. And as long as there's a payoff, as long as you get the, the goals that you want, then it's worth it. So I always encourage people to make the investment in their health. So when those programs are open, there will definitely be announcements on my website and on, on Instagram. And yeah, so you'll be able to find more information there. All right. Thank you. We're letting you off the hot seat now. We'll see you for another episode. Hopefully in the future, I'm sure we'll get great positive feedback and we'll have you on for another episode. Sounds good. It was a pleasure. it for the interview with Dr. Olucci. The interview was a little lengthy, but I believe the content was worth the length. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow her on social media at Dr. Olucci MD. Also check out her book, Worship and Wellness, The Discovery on Amazon. Also check out my comedic thriller on Amazon called Appendicitis. It has a lot of health information in the book centered around women, such as infertility and anxiety. You can download three chapters for free on my website, HeinzEntertainment.com. Follow me on social media at underscore Dr. Randy. Please rate, like, and subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening to, especially on Apple. Putting comments on there really helps. Also, big shout outs to the top five states that listen to me right now. All my family and friends in Texas and friends in Georgia. Also, California, Virginia, and Illinois. Those are my top five states that listen to me currently. I appreciate y'all listeners. Also, thanks to my overseas listeners as well. We're worldwide now, baby. I have people listening in Poland and in Germany. So to my listeners in Poland, Vitaj, and in Germany, hello. That's hello in Polish and in German. Yeah, I'm just randomly speaking um, <laughs> other languages now, but I just wanted to... Make sure that I personally recognize those countries. We're three episodes in and we're worldwide, baby. I know you can't see me right now, but I'm doing a little shimmy. (laughs) And just to quickly summarize cervical cancer screening again, from age 21 to 29, you get a pap smear every three years. And from age 30 to 65, you get a pap smear along with HPV testing every five years. That's the frequency that you can do your pap smears if they've always been normal. 
So make sure to ask your physician if your pap smears have been normal. If you have any questions about this, always consult your physician. Once again, share with others if you like the podcast. And if you happen to be in a group chat with your friends, sorors, or fraternity brothers, please don't hesitate to share the podcast in there too. I would greatly appreciate it. See you healthy people again for another episode in two weeks. We'll be talking about holiday sweets. Yep, I went from talking about eating healthy to holiday sweets. Insert Kanye shrug. This is the randomness you'll get with On Call with Dr. Randy. See y'all next week. Stay healthy physically and mentally.